Well, Christmas is right around the bend, and whether you're making out your list for Santa Claus or shopping for friends and family, I'm just glad that you're doing it with us because we're going to make it a heck of a lot more enjoyable for you as today our travels take us first to Ashland where we will visit with Miss Brandy Clark. She is the all-new executive director from the Ashland Visitor Center, and she will tell us about the wealth of dining and entertainment options in her small town you won't want to miss it, and later we will venture to London. No, not England. London, Kentucky in Laurel County. That's where we will find Miss Jessica Blankenship. She is the owner and founder of KentuckyCountryMusic.com, and she will enlighten us on her website and talk about the many Kentucky musicians that she's been privileged to cover throughout her commendable career in journalism. Get the hot chocolate and hot fudge handy because here comes episode number eight of Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Auburn to Albany, Turkey Creek to Stinkin' Creek, we got you covered on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, exploration and celebration of all things Kentucky. Sam Moore coming at you as always. From the unmatched, upscale, North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson KY, I'm going to keep my comments short, sweet, and to the point because we've got on tap two very fascinating and informative interviews with my great guests. But before we get there, I always enjoy having you along for the ride each and every week. Spread the word, tell your friends and family, your neighbors, and uh, keep sending those questions, comments, suggestions for the show, guest ideas. I love hearing from you, and there are plenty of means for you to touch base with me. For one, there's the all-new Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. We just established that a few weeks ago, and uh, you can access each new episode that way and uh, also keep up to speed on additional information and updates as presented. And, of course, you can leave comments and messages and communicate with me that way as well. And, of course, there is the email, which is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. So, of course, today we're going to London last, but we're going to Ashland first, and we'll be speaking with Brandy Clark from the Ashland Visitor Center, and I tell you, for a town its size, you'd be quite surprised about all the unique features and attractions that uh, Ashland has to offer that uh, you and your entire family or friend pack just can't help but enjoy. So uh, Brandy will give us the scoop momentarily, and in London we will speak with Jessica Blankenship. She has been covering musicians in Kentucky for a number of years, and uh, quite a few of those that she's had the pleasure of getting to know and interviewing have gone on to do truly impressive things in the biz, so we will uh, chat with her about 
them and her experiences. KentuckyCountryMusic.com is her website, and we'll find out all about that as well. But first and foremost, as always, it's yet another Bluegrass Brain Buster. We do one of these every week, and you know the drill. I'll give you the question now and the answer at the end of today's program. And oddly enough, I uh, researched today's answer from our second guest, Miss Jessica Blankenship. I found the answer in uh, one of her articles. So here is today's Bluegrass Brain Buster. Through the years, countless musicians and entertainers have wowed audiences from the stage at Kentucky's historic Renfro Valley. I'd like for you to name the two famous radio shows which helped to establish Renfro Valley as a legendary landmark for country music and entertainment in the state of Kentucky. So one more time, through the years, countless musicians and entertainers have wowed audiences from the stage at Kentucky's historic Renfro Valley. And your task is to name the two famous radio shows which helped to establish Renfro Valley as a legendary landmark for country music and entertainment here in the Commonwealth. Oh, they're on the tip of your tongue. I can just see them now, but hold that thought, because we'll have your answer in the closing segment. Sam Moore now presents his Blabbing in the Bluegrass Community Connection. Folks, one of Kentucky's most historic, tradition-rich communities is probably a lot closer than you might think. And in today's Commonwealth Community Connection, we are featuring the county seat of Boyd County, Kentucky, none other than Ashland KY. And uh, here to tell us all about it is the proud brand new executive director of the Ashland Visitor Center. Let's hear it for Brandy Clark. Brandy, we are tickled pink that uh, you have joined us today. Now, you've been on the job for three weeks. Three weeks, that is right, yes. Awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll have uh, far harder tasks than this, I, <laughs> I just know, because we're here to have fun and learn all about uh, what Ashland has to offer. And uh, for a town its size, it is quite a bit. I tell you, um, before we get going, one of Ashland's little nuggets that uh, a lot of people probably are aware of, but some may not be. Uh, two of Ashland's biggest claims to fame are Winona and Naomi Judd. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you know any of them? No, I don't. Um, they don't come back to Ashland very often. I um, gotcha. So I, I, the only thing I, I know about them is when I was in high school and summer motion was a big deal at the Ashland Riverfront. It's a big festival we have in the summertime. And Winona was the headline uh, singer at the riverfront and oh, gotcha. it was the place to be when I was in high school so uh, me and my friends we all loaded up uh, we went to the riverfront to see Winona and of course we didn't have tickets so we were way in the back and I remember her red flaming hair all the way from the <laughs> stage I could see it plain as day and that's that's pretty much all I know well, <laughs> and that, that memory will always stick with you. No doubt, yes. uh, no doubt a fair number of the uh, Judd family members still live in the Ashland area. Uh, well, the, the uh, grandmother, Winona's grandmother, recently passed away. I believe she was the last member of their family still living here. Oh, okay. um, I think she passed away last year or the year before. Um, but we do have... Um, 
an area in the Highlands Museum that is um, for the Country Music Highway. Yeah. A lot of their mem memorabilia is displayed there. Um, and that's that's about all we have left of the Judds. Well, well, we'll talk more about that museum shortly. Now, um, Winona's grandmother was Polly, right? Yes, Polly. Yep, Polly That's what Judd. I thought. I thought I heard that somewhere. Well, mm -hmm. rest in peace, Miss Polly. Now, yes. um, yep. <laughs> uh, many Commonwealth communities the size of Ashland uh, offer unique opportunities for uh, shopping and dining and exploring. But uh, tell us, Brandy, what in your mind makes Ashland the most attractive Kentucky small town getaway destination? Well, Ashland is very safe. Um, we're a small town. Um, all of our restaurants have managed to adjust uh, to allow people to come and eat outside. Um, and I feel very safe. Everybody's wearing their masks and, you know, things like that. We've got... Um, plenty of outdoor space where you can park and walk to sure. all of our restaurants downtown. Um, we have 11 boutiques downtown and we actually had three restaurants open in the middle of COVID. Since all March, right. Which, How about yeah, that? Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so everything's, I think we've only lost one, actually, no, I'm sorry, we lost two restaurants, but we gained three. Um, our boutiques are still going. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. we have a lot to offer, a lot of outdoor space, and it, it's all within walking distance of each other. And safety is definitely not something to be taken for granted, so. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not. And I, I feel very safe um, walking around downtown as far as, you know, crowds and things like that. We don't have huge crowds, but we, we have a lot of nice things to offer people to come and see. Well, hopefully your crowds will get a little huger after we publish I, this I podcast. So, so, so. <laughs> that's the goal. Now, uh, anyway, it goes without saying, Brandy, that the Ashland's historic walking tour will tremendously enhance our knowledge and um, appreciation of the city's honorable heritage. So why don't mm -hmm. you give us an overview of the historic sites that we can view and admire throughout this nostalgic tour? Okay. And if anybody would like to see the tour, um, you can actually kind of take it on our website. Okay. Um, but, you know, I've only had um, photos of the houses, but it's better than nothing. Sure. Um, but there are 30 stops on our current walking tour. Um, I believe that the Highlands Museum is working on another one because it does, the current walking tour doesn't take in every location that we have um, downtown. But the current tour starts at Central Park, and it ends at the Paramount Arts Center. Um, it features the Cameo Arcade, which is um, one of the largest indoor shopping malls in Kentucky. Right. We'll talk more about that shortly. Yeah. Um, but the bulk of the tour are historic homes built in the uh, mid to late 1800s on Bath Avenue. And Bath Avenue itself and most of those homes are on the National Registry of Historic Places. So that's kind of neat. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, one of the homes is currently a, a bed and breakfast, the Governor's Inn. Oh, and uh -huh. it, Yeah, it was uh, once the home of Simeon Willis, who was the governor of Kentucky in 1943 and 1947. Uh -huh. um, one of the homes was a refuge for soldiers during the Civil War. So oh, they each have their own little you know, quirky factoid about them. So that's, that's really neat. And it's yeah. all, yeah, it's all listed um, on our website for people to follow along the tour or they can get a um, 
paper guide here at the visitor center. Sure, a unique story behind each home. Yes. So <laughs> each yep. site, so mm -hmm. you can uh, learn more about that on the tour. Now, uh, adventure lovers and history buffs alike will feel right at home while visiting one of Ashland's most noteworthy attractions, the Highlands Museum and Discovery Center. So why don't you talk a little bit, Brandy, about this museum and describe how its exhibits reflect the region's longstanding culture and tradition. Okay, well, the Highlands Museum opened in 1984, and it's been in a couple of different locations, but it's currently located in the historic Parsons Building, which was um, a large department store. And um, they, we, you start out in the museum in a very large open space. They have lots of different exhibits, and you can see the history of Ashland and the Pogue family, um, how Ashland the, the town was formed and um, then you move on around and through the museum and you it's an interactive and hands-on um, for all ages and kids or adults if you want to you can learn to drive a towboat you can use a flight simulator you can pretend to be a doctor at King's Daughters Hospital oh, um, yeah you can um, pretend to be a teacher or a student in a 19th century um, schoolhouse or you can walk through the country music highway portion of the museum and they actually have an interactive sound sculpture that's actually a sound quilt so you sound press on quilt. different yeah I mean it's strangest thing I've ever seen but it's pretty neat and you push on different parts of it and it makes different sounds Gotcha. Um, so that's really neat. I'd love um, to pretend I'm a doctor because all I have yeah. is a measly little master's degree. <laughs> so <laughs> one, of, one of the really unique things inside the Highlands Museum is a partnership with Moorhead State University. Um, oh, in 2014, uh -huh. they put in a, a space science center and they display satellites and they talk about the space program that's at Moorhead. Um, and it is really, really neat. Um, they, there's a lot of information, a lot of displays. It's just something really unique. Um, it, Moorhead State has a very large space science program. There we go. So aspiring scientists <laughs> can uh, get geeky in the science center. Yes. So. <laughs> and then on um, the fourth floor, I believe, is the Clark Family Discovery Center that's currently under construction. So all of the hands-on um, displays like driving the towboat, being a doctor, working in a bank, pumping gas, different things like that. They're all getting a major, major upgrade. Um, and it's all under construction right now. So when that opens, it's going to be a really, really neat, unique thing to our area for kids to come and just pretend to be a doctor or a bank teller or shop at a grocery store and do things like that. So it's really, really neat. So it's awesome right now, and it's about to be even more awesome. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Once the uh, construction is done. Now, are they open daily? No, they are currently closed right now. They're on a winter break. Um, okay. With, yeah, with it being a hands-on museum, it's not really the ideal situation right now. Sure. Um, but hopefully, after we all get back vaccinated and things calm down, it will be back to normal and they are open five days, uh, six days a week, I believe. 
Okay, gotcha. Six days a week. Well, when we when we get back at least closer to normal, yes. <laughs> y'all can head out out there and uh, explore. Now, uh, Ashland also features a uh, legendary landmark dedicated to uh, a notable local hero who was also one of the state's most celebrated authors, the late, great Jesse Stewart. And uh, I actually had to read one of his books in one of my college classes. So oh, nice. uh, <laughs> I'm quite familiar with him. He was also a former teacher. So mm -hmm. um, why don't you tell us, Brandy, about the Jesse Stewart Foundation and give us a snapshot of what we can expect to learn and explore during our visit. Okay, well, the Jesse Stewart Foundation is just outside of um, downtown Ashland and it's located on Route 60. It's a pretty large facility. Um, and it's the home of the Jesse Stewart Foundation that was started by he and his wife, Naomi, in 1979. Oh, another and Naomi. <laughs> yes. Yep. And they wanted to preserve his works in the Appalachian way of life and support um, Appalachian authors and things, um, things like that. They publish books um, by other Kentucky authors. And they have a bookstore and a gift shop. And the gift shop you can shop online. And their online shop right now is featuring a Christmas book. Oh, and neat. Yeah, and it um, has a collection of Christmas stories by different authors. It's called Christmas Stories from the Heart of Appalachia. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. <laughs> you can uh, read those Christmas stories and to find mm -hmm. out more about that collection uh, online. Yep. <laughs> anyway, um, a nationally known artist who fell in love with Ashland crafted three creative sculptures inspired by his admiration of the community and its surroundings. And these magnificent works of art have been on display at the Port of Ashland since mm -hmm. January of this year. So Brandy, why don't you tell us a little more about these sculptures and describe how they reflect Ashland's proud her heritage. Okay, um, these sculptures are the prettiest thing we have here in Ashland. They're, they're so magnificent when you drive up on them. They're really neat. You can see them from Ohio um, because we're bordering um, with Ohio and West Virginia. Right. You can actually see the statues from Ohio and they are located at the Ashland Riverfront Park, which is Port of Ashland. And there's three of them. They're called the Vulcan, the Genesis, and uh, Venus of Ashland. And they were created by an international artist, Jeans Saran Pagan, and his two children helped him with the sculpting. And they are all, um, they light up at night, and it, it's just, it's really neat to see at night when they're all different colors. But the Genesis sculpture is the sculpture that's in the middle, mm -hmm. and it is kind of an abstract piece, and it's um, a circle, circular shape with five lines going through it, and he based that on images found on the walls of Paul Blazer High School, and the five lines represent earth, wind, fire, and water, and the fifth line represents faith, and the artist said that it represents the interconnection of elements of nature with the divine aimed to enlighten the students in their lives, and oh, then... Me. Yeah, it's really, really neat. And it rotates. Didn't know that until I saw a time-lapse video. <laughs> so there's a rotation there. <laughs> yes, and it's really, really slow. So I, di I didn't realize it. 
right. Yeah, the Vulcan is um, the large masculine piece. Um, he represents the workers of America, the strength and hard work of the people of the metal industry and of Ashland. And in mythology, Vulcan is the Roman god of metal and fire. He is holding a hammer and he's ready to strike his forge. And his forge contains the five lines of metal that is represented in Genesis sculpture. Okay. And yeah, when he strikes the forge, he's hitting the five elements, creating the spark of life. Sweet. And I just read all of this in a book that we just received at our visitor center that is ready for sale on our website. So. Well, what perfect timing. I know, I know. <laughs> so, just in time for your feature on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. <laughs> exactly. So. In um, the Venus statue, it's a fun fact, she's actually the largest, the tallest Venus sculpture in the world. Oh. Um, yeah. And the three of them form the largest group of bronze sculptures in the United States in a single site. Well, how about that? Mm -hmm, so. Exactly. I, I said the same thing when I read that. How about that? <laughs> so of all, just... <laughs> of all the Venus sculptures out there, uh, yes. the, the one in Ashland is queen. Is the tallest Venus de Milo. Um, ours is taller. How about that? See? I know. I know. It's a very fun fact. See, I mean, no trip to Iceland would be complete without getting a glimpse of Venus and her uh, cohorts there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> In the uh, the sculpture family. Now, mm -hmm. uh, no Iceland shopping spree would be complete without a visit to the Commonwealth's oldest indoor shopping mall. That would be the historic Cameo Arcade, which we briefly touched on earlier. And it's been mm -hmm. going strong since July of 1926. Mm -hmm. That's quite a while, needless to yep. say. In fact, uh, let's see, almost a, almost a century. Almost. So uh, give us an overview of the shopping and dining opportunities available at the Cameo Arcade. Well, with, um, unfortunately, with COVID-19, it's taken its toll on that um, indoor shopping mall. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, between last December and this December, we are left with two boutiques, one salon, a hot dog stand, a realty office, and a boudoir photo studio. Gotcha. So, yeah, but the hot dog stand is Jim's Hot Dogs. Oh, legendary. They, I read about that. Yes, they were voted um, the best hot dog in Kentucky by Food and Wine Magazine, so that's really kind of cool. Mm -hmm. they, and it's within walking distance of my office, so we eat there quite regularly. So you pay the light bill at gyms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but there have been times when the arcade was completely full of um, boutiques, and uh, the county clerk's office used to be in there. I remember when I first got my driver's license, um, that's where I went to have my photo taken. So there have been a lot of different types of um, stores inside the arcade, and it's just, it's, um, it's beautiful. It's completely kept, uh, you know, it, it's not run down. It's perfectly clean and pristine. Uh -huh. um, all the architecture and all the painting, it's all still intact. It makes for beautiful photo backdrops. Um, we've had a couple of people do some photo shoots, like for fashion and different things like that. Always prom season, homecoming season, it's the place to go to have your photo taken. Sure. So even though it's not 
as active as it used to be, there's still a lot of people coming in and out. Still several gyms in there and back, well, gyms and, and gyms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hot dogs. Back on the back on gyms, hot dogs. You wouldn't expect this with a name like that, but they also have really great spaghetti, do they not? They do. Yeah, they do. And they have a regular sauce and a spicy sauce. Mm. And he actually used the recipes from the Bluegrass, which was a drive-in restaurant here um, that closed back in the early 90s. But it he is well known for his hot dogs. He makes a hamburger that's very similar to the flying saucer that was served at the Bluegrass. He serves strawberry pie in the summertime, which mm. is a big hit. Um, so yeah, he has some really good food. So if, if you're having flashbacks, all for all of our Ashland people, if you're having flashbacks, that old bluegrass drive-in, yes. you can uh, get a taste of their food at, uh, at Jim's yep. Hot Dogs and Spaghetti. Yep. So um, uh, sort of along those lines, uh, in addition to Jim's and the other places in the uh, arcade, Ashland also offers plenty of other unique hometown restaurants featuring food to satisfy any taste or appetite. So, uh, Brandy, why don't you give us the rundown of these local sensations and tell us about their signature menu staples. Okay, well, like I said, we had three restaurants actually open um, since March, and one is the Mill Cafe and Bakery. Okay. She um, is open for breakfast and lunch six days a week. Mm -hmm. And she features homemade breads and pastries. She has a weekly lunch special. Um, last week, she was featuring the Kentucky Hot Brown. She's had buffalo chicken sandwiches, different things like that. And she is also the only place to get Sunday brunch. Oh, um, gotcha. That's incentive yeah. enough for me to yes. go there. Uh, Whips Frozen Custard and Coffee Bar is two doors down from my office. And um, they serve locally roasted coffee beans and um, freshly made custard. They make it fresh every day. It's the only place to get an affogato drink. An affogato. Yeah, it's coffee and you pour it over the custard. It's delicious. Oh, that sounds um, good. Oh, it's really good. It's the only place around here to get one of those. And then Bombshells and Ales, which um, is a restaurant that also opened recently. They have huge portions, pizza, barbecue, lots of bar foods. And they also offer these huge milkshakes that mm. are just covered with icing and just sprinkles and cake. And I mean, they're gigantic. You get your cake and, they, and ice cream all in one. All of it, all of it, all <laughs> together. And you just get it all over you. And what's your, what's your favorite flavor? Um, well, they just came out with one that is the Little Debbie um, Christmas tree cake. And oh, it's gotcha. Yeah, it's a peppermint milkshake, and it's topped with all this wonderful whipped cream and um, sprinkles, and it's got a whole cake on it, um, the Christmas tree cake on it, and a peppermint stick. So I would say it would be my favorite. The bombshells and ales. Ales, yep. Kirk. We also, yeah, we also have the Jockey Club, which is like a little hidden gem that a lot of people don't really know about. I mean, the locals do, but a lot of people from outside of Ashland don't know about it. And it's right behind Corby's, um, which is a boutique. And it's behind two red doors. There is no signage. You would never know it's there. And you open the doors, and all you see is Kentucky Derby memorabilia. I mean, just everywhere. And they have some of the best salads, soups, and sandwiches that I've had. 
Awesome. So if you're if you're a horse nut, you'll feel right at home in there. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and, I, and um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've got to tell you about um, Blazers Restaurant and Bakery. They've got the best burger in town, um, which was voted on by the, our our local newspaper, the Daily Independent. They have a, a readers poll every year. So Blazers was voted the best burger in town. And then the Win the Winchester is located in our hotel, the Delta downtown, right. and they offer steaks, um, a little bit more fine dining, and the fun thing to get at that restaurant is a bourbon slushy. A bourbon slushy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's um, we also have a couple of bakeries and the um, traditional Mexican restaurants, um, an Italian restaurant. And then we have our the usual chain restaurants, um, right. Roadhouse, um, Cheddar's, and different things like that. The Outback. So regardless of what you're in the mood for, there's there's oh, going to be something in Iceland. We've got plenty of options for <laughs> That's food. right up your alley. When I get over there, uh, I think the first two places I'm going to hit up are uh, Blazers and mm -hmm. um, the, the custard place. Is it Whips? Yes, Wits. Wits. Oh, Wits. Okay, with a T. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but but I'll I'll try to hit them all up at some yeah. point. I think it'd definitely yeah. be uh, well worth my time. Now, um, any of our listeners who have yet to get a taste of the Christmas spirit probably haven't experienced Ashland's winter wonderland of lights, which will be shining brightly through January 3rd. So, Brandy, why don't you talk a little bit about this dazzling display and tell us how it has become such a treasured tradition. Okay, well, the planning of the Winter Wonderland of Lights started in 1988, and it's put on by the Ashland Alliance and the Winter Wonderland of Lights group of people. Um, it's sponsored by major businesses, donations, and it's basically volunteer hours for people to put up these lights and take them down year after year. Um, our light display contains over 800,000 lights, and it's focused in and around Central Park, but it also, um, our downtown, our, our streets in downtown are decorated, but the bulk of the displays are in the park. It also okay. features a business and home um, decorating contest, so you can sign up on the Ashland Alliance and Winter Wonderland of Lights website, and they um, have a, a tour, you know, for those those lights for the businesses and the homes that get decorated. Um, in years past, they've had, a, we always have a huge Christmas parade, and this year we just weren't able to have it. Yeah, given and, the circumstances. Yeah, and the Christmas parade was added in 1995, and at the time it was the second largest parade in Kentucky. So it, it's a big deal, and this yeah, is I'd the say. first year, this is the first year that it's never happened. Well. Um, so it's kind of sad, but you know, we'll cross our fingers that in 2021, that's right. It makes that's its right. triumphant return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it's the, usually the winter wonderland of lights is put off by a huge ceremony. Um, we have a tree lighting and, um, like a ceremonial flip of the switch to turn all the lights on. Um, they have pizza with Santa breakfast with Santa, a beauty pageant, um, a train that goes through the park and um that's about it lots of People neat can, things you know though. you can yeah you can go and talk to santa you know give him your christmas list and things like that but this year all we have are the lights um but they're beautiful you can get a, a cup of hot chocolate at the coffee bar downtown and walk over to the park and 
see all the lights and it's it's really pretty so it's been going on for uh three decades or so it's still going yeah. strong so uh yep. check them out hopefully with the parade next year but for now you got the lights and mm -hmm. <laughs> you will not be disappointed plenty of decorations plenty yes indeed well uh brady you've been a great guest and uh for being a new kid on the block you should be very proud of yourself Thank so you. <laughs> anyway before we uh before we put this uh, before we put this thing to bed though in 30 seconds or less why don't you give us your best sales pitch for the community of Ashland as a bucket list must for family fun and magical memories. Well, I was born and raised in Ashland and it took me 40 years to come downtown and have lunch and walk around and shop. Oh, you so, just gave while you're aged. <laughs> well, I'm older than that, but, um, <laughs> but uh, now I want it, I'm making it my mission to share everything we have to offer and hope that it doesn't take people as long as it took me to come downtown and realize all the unique and exciting things we have to offer um, with the Paramount Arts Theater. We have our riverfront walking path. Um, we just have a brand new outdoor community living room, we're calling it, which is Broadway Square. Sure. We have some um, new murals that have been painted. We have an art walk um, to let people tour around town and see all the different murals that have been painted. So I encourage everybody to come and experience everything we have to offer and hope that it doesn't take them as long as it did to take me. Sometimes you just don't know what you got until you leave it's or it's truth. gone. So it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> so if you're in Ashland or if you're not, go check it out and see what they got to offer the uh, the Paramount Arts Center that she was talking about. That's a great place to watch a show. So take in the concerts and the uh, ambiance of the Paramount Arts Center when uh, yes. <laughs> time and opportunities <laughs> allow for it. Well, Brandy, you've been great. I've sure enjoyed talking to you, and um, we'll definitely have to um, make it our ultimate goal to get to Ashland sooner than later if we Please ain't there do. already and yeah. uh we'll uh we'll look forward to talking with you again sometime okay well thank you when people are ready to travel we'll be open and waiting yes indeed visit aky.com is the website and mm -hmm. uh you can also find them at visit Ashland KY on Facebook and Instagram and the uh, the Twitter handle is uh, at Ashland Tourism Mm -hmm. So you can check them out there. If you want to uh, contact Brandy, it's uh, B-R-A-N-D-Y dot C-L-A-R-K at visitaky.com. dot com. Mm -hmm. So you can cut right to the source there. Brandy, <laughs> you rock and we'll do it again. Okay, thank you. So if you can't find anything you like in Ashland, you're just not trying hard enough. That's the bottom line. I mean, from those bourbon slushies at the Winchester to the thick milkshakes with cake and ice cream from bombshells and ales to those legendary hot dogs at Jim's voted best hot dogs in the state. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And we can't forget about the Highlands Museum or the Jesse Stewart Foundation. Plenty to see and do throughout your stay in Ashland. And as per usual... I will direct you to their website in my show notes, and when you drop into the Ashland Visitor Center, make sure you tell Miss Brandy Clark that we said hello. Okay, it's now time to scoot on to our Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Now, this Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser 
Could be an author, could be a musician, a comedian, anybody who entertains or inspires audiences within the Commonwealth. And this lady definitely entertains and inspires. I tell you, if you think life's a dance or you've been hurt bad in a real good way, chances are you can relate really well to Kentucky country music. And you would also relate really well to this wonderful writer who's been blessed to cover country music in Kentucky for 20 some odd years. In fact, she is so passionate about Kentucky music that she started a website devoted to it. And let's get the 411 on that right now with none other than Miss Jessica Blankenship. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Today's Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser is a lady, I tell you, if you want to talk country, she's the lady to talk country with. She has been covering country and bluegrass in the state of Kentucky, among other genres uh, that uh, are prevalent in this state for over two decades. So we're uh, here to give us some insight on her website and her uh, country music coverage. By the way, it's KentuckyCountryMusic.com. That would be the website. And uh, we're going to give her 20 questions about it today. Well, not quite 20. But let's hear it for Jessica Blankenship. Thank you. Jess, we are uh, honored that you're here with us today, direct from London, Kentucky. Now, the only other famous figure that I know from London, um, besides you, is Mr. Carl Hurley. Do you know Carl Hurley? Oh, yeah. Carl Hurley was up in the East Burnstead area. And another famous person you may not know from London is uh, Daryl Scott. He wrote a You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive that Patty Loveless. Oh, to yeah. Famous song. Been done by quite a few people, but Patty Loveless probably has the most famous version of it. Oh, yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes, definitely a proud claim to fame for London there. So, um, anyway, Jessica, uh, you've been researching and uh, writing about the Commonwealth's past and present music scene for over two decades. So, uh, tell us how you first discovered your interest in and passion for Kentucky's music history. Well, it all started, well, it started back in fourth grade. I always had a love of Kentucky history. And my fourth grade teacher, Ruth Robinson, uh, she really instilled just that love of it. And then it just continued growing. It wasn't until about college. Um, I started doing a little bit of concert photography. Right. And, and ironically, it wasn't country music. I was doing uh, write-ups and stuff. It's actually the local rock scene in Lexington, Central Kentucky. And if anybody remembers like late 90s, early 2000s, the rock scene was just phenomenal. And uh, it's wild because some of the bands, uh, Chris Kale was in a band. I get pictures from when he was Chris Sprinkles and Cut Love Kill. That's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> right. Now, he's in Five Finger Death Punch. I didn't realize that until a few months ago. But, but, uh, but that started in college and then I really started uh, doing a lot more research um, on Appalachian and folk music and then Kentucky country music. Um, I was at Berea College, and so part of your uh, part of your studies, you had the work study program. So my junior and senior year, I ended up working at the Appalachian Center, and I ended up having to do a lot of research. Um, we also had the Celebration Traditional Music Festival, in which I helped uh, organize it, help them out. Right. And, right. And then I had research papers that I had to do. And so it was just, I loved bluegrass, Appalachian country music, and it just kind of kind of expanded on that. And so I've just, I've always loved history and I've always loved music. 
So we have Miss Ruth from fourth grade to thank for that. And uh, <laughs> Ruth, Ruth uh, Scott? Ruth Robinson. Robinson, yeah. okay. We'll give Ruth a big shout out today <laughs> here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass for inspiring uh, a lot of your love for Kentucky history. Now, uh, you touched on this briefly in the last question, but uh, your first taste of journalism came uh, as a student at Berea College where you uh, – served as an editor of the Appalachian Review magazine, and you were also a regular contributor to the school's newspaper and yearbook. And it was also during this time frame that you conducted your very first interview with none other than the legendary Ralph Stanley. Now, um, where exactly did this interview take place, Jessica? And uh, what do you remember most about this experience? Well, this was all before social media, and so, uh, you know, we still had internet. I mean, it was uh, it was back uh, early 2000s, and I have been seeing Ralph Stanley at concerts at Bluegrass Festivals throughout Kentucky for quite some time, and I realized I was going to have a little bit of time off, and he was playing at the uh, is Olive Hill Shriners Music Bluegrass Festival, and they still have it. And um, I got to become friends with his guitar player and tour manager, James Allen Shelton, who uh, he passed away a few years ago. And with, uh, with Ralph, I got to talking to James. I was like, hey, you know, I would really love to interview Ralph. And so we set it up and went backstage and, and conducted it. And one of my friends, I had a video camera. And to this day, I cannot find the video and it's killing me. Like I'm oh. still... <laughs> Um, but, and it's somewhere, it has to be somewhere in all my junk and all of my moves, but. It's got to be in your zip code. <laughs> yeah, it has to be somewhere here. But Ralph was so surreal, and I had met him several times before and even after it. And this was right after um, Oh Brother, Where Thou was released. And, the, of course, the soundtrack just, you know, blew up. And I, I forgot how many millions of copies. It's way up there. And he was still as humble even though that helped make him a little bit more you know change because he had several songs on it sure um he he was still very humble and just very surprised at the attention and this was just when bluegrass festivals were getting that resurgence of audiences and it was young and old and it was very surreal and i ended up that one interview I turned around and did multiple research papers and presentations because of that. And um, the biggest awesome. one was uh, talking about the African-American music influence into bluegrass music, of course, with the banjo and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, and he was very interested in it. And he was just, you know, this man here, he had wads of $100 bills and 20s in his front pocket. He was just as humble as I'll get out. And I wish, I, hopefully one day I'll find that videotape. So. Well, I've got my fingers crossed that one day it'll pop up. Um, and, I'll, and I, that's where it all started in Sleepy Little Olive Hill, KY. Yeah, yeah. and it literally is Sleepy Little because there's not much else to do over there. <laughs> that is the home of Tom T. Hall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one big thing Olive Hill does have going for it. But anyway, back on Ralph Stanley, a lot of people probably remember him, uh, even if they didn't hear his bluegrass stuff, they uh, probably remember his duet with uh, Josh Turner, Me and God. Yes. yes. That was uh, a big hit back about 10 or so years ago. So that was uh, <laughs> one, of, one of Ralph's last big uh, recordings there. So check it out if you've never heard it. Now, uh, Jess, as a student, you touched on this a little bit ago, too, but you also helped to organize 
Berea College's annual celebration of traditional music festival. So uh, if you would, why don't you expand a little more about this event for those of us who have never attended and um, describe your primary role that you assumed in the uh, preparation process for this event. Okay. Well, the celebration of traditional music festival is, is definitely that. Uh, Berea College started this, I think it was back in the 70s. So it's okay. about 50 years old. And, uh, and it's put on by the Appalachian Center and they get funding from, uh, I think it's the National Heritage Arts Council or something like that. But anyway, it focuses on traditional music um, and it will be your folk and your Appalachian. Um, my role, I was a student worker, and so I got to help contact artists, kind of get contracts, re you know, arranged and everything. But then the day of, um, I got to do a lot of concert photography, talking to people, making sure everything was okay. Um, my The lady I was working with, Lori, she would take care of, you know, design of the poster and that type of stuff. But also, um, we had to do a lot of promotional stuff. Again, this was pre-social media, so sure. a lot of it was... Um, getting interviews, connecting with the print magazines, those type things early on. And so that was, uh, it was very memorable. Um, Art Stamper was uh, one performer I remember, Jenny Hawker uh, out of West Virginia, or maybe Virginia. Um, there was quite a few historical performers there. Bill Monroe had played there and the McLean family has played there. Um, Jean Ritchie had played there. Uh, and on Berea College's special archives on their library page, yeah. they have got recordings of all these performances. And so, um, and you mentioned earlier about the Appalachian Review, and before it used to be Appalachian Heritage, and they just changed the magazine title. Oh, um, so yeah, it just became it, a review. Yeah, it just became a review. There was a whole nother rigmarole. But anyway, um, one of the cool things when I was a student and going back to the Ralph Stanley about talking about the African music influence in bluegrass and country, mm -hmm. uh, my most memorable experience was, uh, is the summer between my junior and senior year. I spent the summer in the library listening to all these recordings. I had to catalog them too, but we produced a CD and it was all African-American performers that played at Berea College. And it, and it was just phenomenal, just some of the talent that had come. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And, uh, uh, and that, was, that was very rewarding because you got to hear the stories of songs and that type of stuff. So as part of that magazine, one of the issues, they gave all the subscribers a free CD. And, you know, it was pretty cool saying, hey, I, I helped produce that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of, yeah, that was a stepping stone of doing future events, too. Awesome. Yeah, that was <laughs> definitely cool to produce something that uh, was such a big hit. A compilation to be proud of for sure. Now, that the Celebration of Traditional Music Festival is a week weekend-long event, correct? Yeah, that was a weekend-long. They usually started, uh, it was like Thursday, Friday, or excuse me, Friday. No, I'll take that back. It used to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then they changed it to Friday uh, evening, Saturday all day with like classes, whether it was clogging or how to play fiddle or the history of something. And then Sunday morning would always be um, your church hymnal, um, prayer session, worship session, and it would conclude at noon. So that's cool. A little bit, but, uh, but really, you didn't have to be in a musician. If you appreciated good music, you was invited to attend. And, 
and most of the events was free too as well. Yeah. Now, um, as we mentioned, you are the proud owner slash founder of KentuckyCountryMusic.com, and this website has a long-standing tradition of uh, providing timely and detailed information about musicians across the Commonwealth. So why don't you just tell us how and when KentuckyCountryMusic.com was created? Well, I created the website back, it was August uh, 2009, so it's just over 11 years old. And at the time I was actually writing for a national website called examiner.com as well as AXS.com and you've probably heard of Access TV. Oh yeah. Uh, so I was writing for them, but I realized I really wanted to have something that was my own. I had all those articles. So I'm glad I did because the examiner.com kind of vanished or they kind of dissolved. So I was glad I had that collection, but um, I started that just really to have concert reviews, um, have just a little bit of history, those type things, and my road trips and that, and it kind of evolved. Um, it turned into doing interviews, doing uh, record, um, album, single interviews, or um, reviews, Sure. and just um, keeping up with events and really promotional of Kentucky artists. What we found out is yeah, there's all kinds of national websites and they're wonderful when it comes to country music, but there was nothing that was specifically uh, for the local artist in Kentucky. So hopefully I've been able to, to do that over the years. Well, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say you've done pretty darn well. Now, uh, what in your mind has been the, uh, the biggest key to your site's steady growth and prosperity since its inception? I think one of the key things I've been able to get interviews that a lot of people may not be able to get. Right. Um, and, and I say that I don't want to, I really don't want to sound cocky or anything. No, like that. no, no. But, but, but the biggest thing is I think over the years I've been able to earn the respect um, from musicians, um, whether, you know, someone like the Oak Ridge boys and, and I have interviewed people that are not from Kentucky, but they've made an impact in Kentucky. Right. Um, probably two people that I interviewed um, probably within the last few years, Jamie Johnson. Um, and that's one interview that it took me 10 years, but the reason why it took me 10 years is because we earned, I earned my respect with him. And then I finally took the chance and said, Hey, I'd like to interview you. And it happened. Um, and then Hank, the third Hank Williams seniors, grandson, um, that's another interview that I'll always remember, and uh, we end up talking. We end up talking for like an hour, just uh, just most. I mean, music and hunting and everything. But but I think that's one of the things I've been able to get interviews that others haven't been able to, or maybe um, gotten other points of view on there. Um, also, Kentucky is so rich in talent; it is unbelievable. Oh yeah. And, and so being able to promote artists, whether they're new or established, um, I, th I think that's the key of the prosperity. And people are, you know, they're always asking me for road trip ideas. So I try to put them in there as well. And a little bit of history. Um, my, oddly enough, my, one of my most popular articles is who is Dumas Walker? Who is <laughs> <laughs> Dumas Walker? <laughs> a lot of us have heard that Headhunter song. <laughs> Yeah, you've heard the Headhunter song and a lot of people look. So I try to get those like little country tidbit history articles in there. But so I think that's, and plus the readers, they actually, uh, uh, 
they really care uh, for what I write. So it keeps me, it encourages me to keep writing. Sure. Uh, we, won't, uh, we won't harp on this too much, but Dumas Walker is a restaurant in Campbellsville, Greensburg, uh, somewhere around there? Yeah, it's Greensburg. And, Greensburg. Uh, yeah, and it originally was called something else, but you, you can get us, they've got a sign out front, and it is the home of the original Slawburger fries and a bottle of ski. And then the man, Dumas Walker, his little store, uh, what you see in the video with him uh, shooting the pinballs, or not pinballs, the marbles, um, that was actually shot, it's on the Kentucky-Tennessee line, and uh, that's where they done the video. And so, and the only reason why I know about this stuff is because my aunt and uncle live down the road from Fred and Richard. So, so once in blue moon, I'll run into Fred. There <laughs> you <I'm> go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rock out to some headhunters now whenever uh, we get done talking. <laughs> and then make a road trip for a slaw burger at Dumas Walker. Now, uh, your, uh, your resume, Jess, includes uh, interviews with numerous Grand Ole Opry and uh, Country Music Hall of Fame and Kentucky Music Hall of Fame inductees. So why don't you, if you would, give us an idea of the Kentucky Music Hall of Famers you've been privileged to interview? Oh, goodness. Well, I have to say the Kentucky Music Hall of Fame has got a special place in my heart. Um, it's one of those uh, places that I enjoy visiting. And uh, Avery and Emily and the staff there have done a wonderful job of maintaining the history and doing new exhibits and everything. Um, I've been honored to be able to attend several of the induction ceremonies over the years. Right. Um, and two, um, two of the interviews, um, Steve Warner and Eddie Montgomery, uh, come straight out of my mind because uh, they got emotional. Uh, they started thinking about, hey, about their family, because I said, what, what would your parents think um, if they were here? And with Steve Warner, his mom was there, and it was the first time she was able to be at an award event um with him and uh, over the years and so and he ended up introducing me to her and he got emotional thinking about it and then um eddie montgomery of course his whole family is all talented oh, yeah. and and he started thinking about his dad and started you know reflecting got teary-eyed um but the biggest impact um everybody was shocked about the backstreet boys uh I'll try to thank Kevin and Brian. They were getting inducted. Oh, and it's not, it was the same night as Montgomery Gentry and Larry Cordell and Clarence Spalding, those few others. Quite and a bit of diversity there. Big diversity. And so it was, uh, it kind of shocked me because everybody was like, oh, they're, you know, they're so huge and everything. Well, they, they put on their pants one leg at a time as us. Right. <laughs> and I got to interview Kevin and then I met Brian. And what made the biggest impact was that after they'd done all the interviews and everything, and they both had bodyguards, which just cracked me up, but <laughs> they ended up, someone said, you've got some fans out here. So the girl that was publicist, Amanda, she had told me, she said, you may want to get a couple of pictures. So I kind of walked out there. Those guys went running to those fans, met with every single one of them. And they were young adults. They was probably in their 20s or so. They had prom dresses on, they were to the glitz, and they sit there and signed and hugged and took pictures with them. And Isn't I said, that great? yeah, and I said, that is why they are at the position that they are. And uh, so, and I got to meet Patty Loveless. I was too speechless to even do an interview, so I didn't get to interview her. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, a little starstruck, you know, I can imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I did get to interview uh, Crystal Gale, um, Jesse Keith Whitley, who who really impressed me, and I've interviewed him several times after that. Um, gosh, there's there's been quite a few uh, with the Hall of Fame, and and there's more to come with the Hall of Fame. They are going to have an induction. It may not be 2021, but in the future. Um, this last induction, Dale and Bradley and uh, Jason Crabb. Jason was just a hoot to be around and just a blessing, you know, so. Of the many Kentucky music makers that you followed and covered, Jessica, as a journalist, are there any that strike you as being particularly underrated or underappreciated? Oh, gosh. Um, gosh, there's so many of them. Uh, right now, I would say in Kentucky, uh, there's young feller. He's from Pig, Kentucky, which is over in Western Kentucky. Pig, uh, yes, indeed, I've heard yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ry Davis. He is. Uh, he's a really good musician um, and just a overall nice guy. Uh, definitely, I think his career is getting ready to jump. Um, he's definitely underrated. Um, gosh, that's a good question. Uh, Angelina Presley, who is from Eastern Kentucky. Uh, a lot of people may recognize her as being part of the Pistol Annies oh, uh, uh -huh. with, with uh, Miranda Lambert. Um, she is definitely underrated in my opinion. Um, and then Erin Enderlin, who is uh, from Arkansas. She's a singer-songwriter. She wrote um, Alan Jackson's Monday Morning Church. Oh, big one. Yeah, big one. And Leanne Womack has cut, Reba's made cuts of hers. And um, I think of her, and then um, I just had no, oh, the Steelwoods. Um, they are based out of Tennessee, but um, Rowdy, Jason Cope, he's from North Carolina. Uh, Wes Bayless, he's from Alabama. And uh, just phenomenal talent, and just, uh, they have really rise to the top. And I think that they're very underrated. Uh, they're definitely well worth seeing in concert if you get the chance. Oh, yeah, the Steelwoods, I uh, think I saw a video of theirs that you posted on your YouTube channel recently. Yes. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open for them and all those others. Back when they hit it big in a few years, you can say that you heard about them first with Jessica Blankenship on yeah. Flabbing in the yeah. Bluegrass. So <laughs> she's got the inside scoop. Now, uh, you have handled red carpet reporting for uh, countless events ranging from Kentucky Derby Eve celebrations to Kentucky Music Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, like you mentioned briefly earlier. Also, uh, country music highway shows, among other things. Now, uh, of these truly unique assignments, is there one in particular concert or event that stands out as being the most meaningful or memorable to you? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, they're all like my children. Um, <laughs> I, I would hands down, I would put two of them that, well, I'll say three of them. Uh, first one was just a month ago and it was Steelwoods, uh, Dalton Mills and 49 Winchester. They play down in Pineville. This is during COVID. And of course, um, everything was socially distanced. They was, I think, 300 people maximum in the venues outdoors down in Pineville. And um, it was just a unique scene and it was hands down the best performance by all of them. And just the acoustics in that room was just unreal. So that's one of them. Um, I would say Jamie Johnson, um, 
at Renfro Valley. And I've seen Jamie quite a bit, but the first time he played at Renfro Valley, he realized how special it was. And the acoustics in there is just like the Ryman Auditorium. And, oh, wow. and so he ended up coming back and doing an encore. And Jamie normally does not do an encore, but that night, this is back 10, let's see here. It would have been about 11, 12 years ago. And he ended up coming back doing the encore and he was pulling out gospel songs. He was doing everything. And you could hear a pin drop in that room. It was just unbelievable. Um, that would be one. And then, um, gosh, Froggy Field Parties. Um, we've had them several years now. And uh, they haven't had one this year or last year. But I would say... I was trying to think of which one would be most memorable. Blackberry Smoke had played there, and that was just a rocking night. That performance, and then uh, Josh Thompson, that was 10 years ago, it was Josh Thompson, Ashley Ray, and Six Miles South. And uh, I got to just basically stand on the stage and take pictures. And the crowd, Josh had him like captured in his hand. And, and that now he's, Josh kind of stepped away from performing and he's doing songwriting more. He done um, Luke Bryan's One Margarita. One two Margarita, two Margarita. Yeah. That one, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that one. He, he had like five songs on the chart at the same time. So uh, so that that was pretty memorable. That's good for him. Josh Thompson had a song called Beer on the Table back in the day that I remember. Yes. And then uh, for those of you that say, well, Jamie Johnson sounds familiar. Well, he should. In Color is uh, probably his signature song, although he had quite a few others. These um, froggy field parties sound like a bunch of fun, too. And uh, by the way, if you're wondering where the froggy comes from, it's Froggy 104.9, which is um, the um, big country station in Frankfort serving Central Kentucky. In fact, this is also where you can catch Jessica Blankenship's Nashville News Roundup. And that's every Friday morning, correct? Yep, every Friday morning they air it about 9:30 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, and you can catch it at uh, froggykycountry.com as well as uh, on the dial uh, on 101.101.7 or 104.9. I get tongue-tied there. Uh, <laughs> so you can hear it from Louisville to Lexington or online. Yeah. So regardless, even if you're not. <laughs> anywhere between Louisville or Lexington. You can definitely keep up with what's going on with your favorite artist, thanks to Jessica and her uh, Nashville News Roundup. Now, yeah. uh, of all the marvelous musicians, Jess, that you have yet to meet within or outside of Kentucky, who would you most like to interview next and why? Uh, I have met him. Um, met him years ago back at Zanzibar, and they was only... 20 people total, and that included staff, um, and that would be Sturgill Simpson. Um, ah. he's been, he has been on my bucket list interview, and that hopefully one day, um, and I was talking about Zanzibar. We were, I ended up being in Louisville for a uh, conference inside the state an extra night, and ended up going to that performance. His dad was there, got to meet him, talk to him for a little bit, and uh, and I just feel like I feel like we could talk more about Keith Whitley and Ralph Stanley and everything else in the world. And, but I had lived in Versailles and I told him at the time or not at the time, but prior. And he asked me exactly where did I live? And he knew exactly. And then he told me, Hey, do you know, so-and-so on this street? And so we realized we knew some of the same people, but 
So he's on my bucket list. And of course, Patty Loveless is another one. Wow. Um, and then uh, Loretta Lynn. Uh, I've I've met and interviewed uh, Taylor Lynn, her granddaughter, and then Tim Cobb, her personal assistant and dressmaker. Um, but I never have gotten to interview Loretta. So that's on my bucket list too. Those are good ones, Loretta and Starchel and <laughs> plenty more out there. Um, now, Chris Stapleton has really made a splash in the last few years. Um, have you developed an acquaintance with Chris? Yeah, I got to interview him. He played at the World Chicken Festival here in London. The World um, Chicken Festival. Yeah, I interviewed him literally six months before Traveler, the album, was released. So he had just... Uh, was just starting and was just very quiet. I would love to interview him again now. Right. Uh, but that was like back in 2013, I think it was, 2013-14. And uh, he was just as quiet and humble as uh, as anything. So definitely uh, would love to re-interview him. There you go. Give him a few. <laughs> After a few years, maybe he'll be a little more talkative and uh yeah. you know that's awesome though i tell you we could talk all day about different artists from kentucky yeah dwight yoakam's another one of my favorites he hasn't lived here in forever but um have you have you gotten to meet him no and he's on my bucket list that's one i was thinking of earlier he's on my bucket list to meet and actually was getting ready to he had a performance scheduled in uh, corbin at the arena and ended up he got sick so i didn't get to interview him or oh, meet him darn. Um, <laughs> so hopefully in 2021 that'll be my goal yeah, may <laughs> maybe <laughs> next year or hopefully it won't be that long until he uh, makes his return to corbin arena i know he went to high school in ohio and he's out in california now so but uh, his roots are here and so that'd be a good one to talk to. Now, uh, before we wrap this thing up, Jessica, with plenty of musical connections and uh, notable achievements already under your belt, what are Jessica Blankenship's future goals? Goodness, um, I know that one of my near future goals, I'm in the process of trying to buy a house. <laughs> oh, but, gotcha. uh, yeah, and so uh, with it, uh, I'm hoping I have my own home studio just to kind of to do my uh, Nashville News Roundups, trying to do a little bit more, expand on that, uh, maybe do video blog, I'm not sure. Um, but then um, I also want to expand. Uh, I've had several people to tell me they want me to write a book about my concert experiences or um, my experiences of meeting people. Um, I've thought about that as well. Um, I continue to, uh, I want to promote more Kentucky artists. Um, I'm going to be releasing my artist to watch. I do an artist to watch every year. So I usually release it like January 1st. So, so I'll be looking for that. Um, and then uh, continuing to support the Kentucky Music Hall of Fame and help promote them. Um, and definitely we've got a few projects down the line on that. And then um, I know earlier we talked about the Central Kentucky rock music scene, and, and right now that's kind of a side project of doing some uh, oral histories uh, with folks that were involved in that scene. So that's one of my goals uh, here for the next couple of years as well, and working with UK on that. Awesome. And um, just really um, wanting to do some more historical articles for my website. And just, uh, if anything, if someone... My ultimate goal is I hope that someone will learn about a new person or a new story or a new song from some shape or form, 
form or fashion, whether it's my website or social media pages. So that, to me, that's, it makes it all worthwhile. You are a great educational source there. And once that book comes out, I'll be the first one to get it. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll have to help promote that too here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. So uh, anyhow, but in the meantime, KentuckyCountryMusic.com is her website. Uh, at Kentucky Country Music is the Facebook and also on uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's at KYCountryMusic. You can also contact Jess via email at uh, KentuckyCountryMusic at gmail.com, and she'd be glad to hear from you and help you out in uh, any way possible. If uh, you've got a group that would like to be enlightened on the history of music in Kentucky or um, another podcast that you or somebody else that you know of has going on, she'd be uh, a great guest on that. Uh, Jess, will be uh, listening to your Nashville news roundups on Froggy 104.9 in Frankfurt or online if we're not there and hopefully the uh, froggy field parties will resume sooner than later. Yeah we hope so and uh, definitely I appreciate you uh, doing this and being interested in what I do and I appreciate you and uh, definitely if anyone ever wants to know about just history or you know maybe they know somebody that should be featured on the website Uh, definitely send me an email. Let me know who they are. Um, Links to website, social media um, helps out a lot as well. And uh, any upcoming shows uh, of events. I know a lot of our venues are struggling right now uh, with the COVID stuff. And so uh, definitely if you have any upcoming events, if you're a venue owner, let me know and I'll be happy to promote it. Well, cool beans. And I'm, I'm sure you listen to a lot of music every week, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it never gets old, and she loves it. So send it on, and uh, she will gladly listen to it with open ears. Well, uh, Jess, you've been a great guest. We sure appreciate it. And uh, keep everybody on the straight and narrow for me down in London. That sounds great. You too. All right. Take care. All right. I mean to tell you, Jessica Blankenship has such an impressive resume, and it's only going to become more impressive. Wouldn't you just love to read a book about all of her experiences? That would be so insightful and entertaining. I tell you, it, I, I wasn't lying when I said I'd be the first to get it if she ever came out with one. So we'll keep you posted on that as well as anything else the future may hold in store for Jessica. I will, of course, direct you to her website in my show notes. I got a feeling... She will not be a one-time guest on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. So, <laughs> just saying. I had a total blast talking to her. And I also had a total blast talking to Miss Brandy Clark about her little corner of the world there in Ashland. She definitely proved to us that there are plenty more reasons to think of Ashland besides just the Judds. So, I sure hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Now, before we part ways, I do have to cover this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster... And for the second week in a row, it is a radio-related question. Last week, we learned that 84 WHAS in Louisville was the state's first licensed radio station. It took to the airwaves back in 1922. And today, we are turning our attention to Renfro Valley. And we know that for a number of years, countless musicians and entertainers have wowed audiences from the Renfro Valley stage I asked you to name the two famous radio shows which helped to establish Renfro Valley as a premier destination for music and entertainment in the state of Kentucky. Show number one, 
The Renfro Valley Barn Dance, which actually started in Cincinnati, oddly enough. It originated at the Cincinnati Music Hall from 1937 to 1939. And then on November 4th of 1939, as soon as the barn was built in Renfro Valley, the barn dance relocated and the rest, as they say, is history. So, radio show number two, the Renfro Valley Sunday Morning Gathering. No, it's not gathering, it's gathering. G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N apostrophe. Now, the Sunday Morning Gathering's been going strong since 1943. In fact, it is the third oldest continuously run radio program behind only the Grand Ole Opry and music with the spoken word. So if you've never caught a Sunday morning gathering, go to their website. They've got all the shows there. The uh, barn dance is no longer on the radio, but you can still attend when things return closer to normal, and I know that you will not be disappointed. So folks, with that, come on back next week. If you got something to share with me in the meantime, do so via email, bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page where you can uh, catch additional information and all other episodes of the show as well. So until next week, keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Because we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.